for joining us for another episode of Chapter Chat. This is our online book club, and we are currently reading the Declarative Language Handbook, and the author is Linda K. Murphy. She is a speech-language pathologist, and so my good friend Michael and I uh, get together every week and discuss one or two chapters of the book that we are currently reading. So Mike is going to join us here in just a second. There he hello. is. How's hello, hello. How are you? Good. Look at that background. Well, you know, I'm in my new, my new little area, my new little recording area that I just painted. And I literally just got the bookshelves today. So I just threw some books up there real fast to try to make a backdrop. But so anyways, I'm kind of excited. a lot of working today, huh? Oh, nothing related to like work, <laughs> you know, I mean, but I worked hard. Yes, yes. And so did my Maybe husband, I should so. stop using my basement. Maybe I should uh, step up my background a little bit. There you go. There you go. I don't know. You can, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. We had one of our adult children moved into her own apartment. So it freed nice. up the bedroom. Close said, to you? you know what? Um, yeah, very close. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I uh, said, you know what, I'm gonna take that room. And it was actually my husband's idea. He's like, why don't you make like a whole recording studio? And that way you can just shut the door. And he can still work in the office when I do webinars and stuff. So it's gonna what, be good. What about the dogs that used to come by in the middle? Well, of the what's funny is they don't know what's going on in this room. They have not tried. They're out there <laughs> sleeping in the family room. So I don't know okay. if they're gonna join us or not. I guess we'll find out. But how anyways. far are the books like behind where you're sitting? Uh, they are about two and a half feet, three feet. Okay. Or, they, that's literally before, my backdrop. Before, you used to be able to just turn around and grab them. Right. No, yeah, and I can, I'd have to reach. I may scoot okay. this desk. I got one of those desks that is, you can stand or you can yeah. sit. You know, those it's a, great. yeah, so when I do webinars, uh, sometimes I do better. You, sh you know, back in the olden days when I used to present in person, I always stood. I mean, I always just walked around the room and stood. So this yeah. is new to get used to this sitting business, but... We'll see how so, it goes. So all of your online webinars are going to be in this room? Everything's going to be in here. Wow. I have in this, I, I bought a chair. So I'm going to be doing some fun stuff where I have like more casual. So yeah, we're going to, I'm going to, I'm 2022 is going to have some yeah. new stuff coming. So start I'm kind some, of excited. Start us some big things. That's really That's exciting. Right. That's right. Oh, I was going to see if Linda is joining us. There she is. Let's there get her is. on here. Let's see. So is the one who moved out the one who just got engaged? Yes. Uh huh. Oh, yep. She she's nice. starting her teaching her teaching career. Hey, Linda. How Hello. Are you? Good. <laughs> Very good. We're so glad you, you can Linda. join us yeah. again. Yes. There there she is on the back. I love, <laughs> love, uh, love your background. I love that book Gallup. It was one of my boys' favorite growing oh, up. Oh, yeah, you can you. see it. Oh, yeah. oh yep. I Gallup and book. Waddle is the other one that is just oh, so nice. much fun. Um, because it looks like they're moving. So yeah, yeah, when, yeah whenever yeah. I work with young children and parents say, oh, he doesn't like books or she doesn't like to be read to, I'm like, oh, mm -mm, uh -uh. just give, <laughs> give them to me. I'm like, we will make them love books. So yeah, so <laughs> many see, wonderful. You see what someone wrote right here, what Elizabeth Ramirez wrote? No, what'd she write? Carrie's got her momentum going. Yeah. Oh, that's my yeah, word of the year. Oh, yeah, I do. Oh, wait till you guys hear. I mm, 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 big announcement coming, but can't announce it yet. So uh -huh. let's talk about the declarative language handbook. We are going to talk about chapters nine and ten. And mm -hmm. chapter nine, we are steaming right along through. We this are. Thing. We are. I think. Chap I think chapter nine we kind of talked about a little bit last week, right? Well, I don't know if we got to it or not. Did we, Linda? We didn't, we talked about talking about it. Yeah, we talked about talking about it. And <laughs> then I think we had something at the end. So I think yeah. this will be quick. I would love, Linda, mm -hmm. since you're the author, to just kind of tell us, 
you know, when is it okay to be impaired? Yeah, because I, did, uh, yeah. I, I love that you put this chapter in here. I did my homework because I know you said, can you summarize this quickly? Because <laughs> I know you have so many things that you want to get to. And um, I love you hanging out with my book, but I don't want to take more of your time. Oh, no, than, I, I love you that know. you're here with us. Um, all right. So, so just points from the chapter, takeaways, mm -hmm. that sort of thing. Um, I think the first thing, the first step always is just to be mindful of your speaking. And, and that's always the first step. And just sure. um, as you get started with declarative language, recognize that when you're in a rush and when you're stressed is not a good time to first start using declarative language because it won't meet the, the goal that we're going for, which is to slow down, be present in the moment. So as you get started trying to change your habit of speaking style, set yourself up for success by doing it at a time that you don't have an agenda and don't have to be anywhere or don't have anything specific that you have to do. You can just practice commenting um, and being in the moment. And just recognize we all get imperative when we feel rushed, when we feel stressed. Yes. That it'll is get, so true. <laughs> yeah, and it'll get better. Like, you know, as we keep talking about, the more you do it, the more it becomes a habit. It becomes easier and you can handle those high-paced those times where you feel in a rush better, but don't start there. Right. I, I will just say, <laughs> I have obviously been trying to be more mindful of it. I still use with my son. Now I'm much better in a therapy situation because I'm focused on therapy. But as I'm a parent, parenting my 17 year old autistic son, uh, I find myself, I catch myself, oh, that would have been a good time to use declarative language. So we, um, I'll, I'll just tell you one, one little scenario that happened this, this past week. Uh, our school board met last Thursday and we all got the phone call that they are reinstating the mask mandate. We had been without it for a few months and it's out of control here. So reinstating the mask mandate. So when Aaron uh, came out of his room or whatever, after I got the phone call, I just said to him, I, I said, uh, the school board met and they decided that students need to wear masks again. And I just sat there with that. Oh. And he said nothing for a minute. And he said, I guess I better find my mask and put it by my backpack. And I was like, oh, amazing. I, I just, it is. It just, it baffles me. Like, again, I don't do it nearly enough because I am still learning. So that's why I really appreciate this chapter, Linda, because it's, it seems like it's an easy thing to do, to move away from giving directives and asking questions and putting kids on the spot and moving to using declarative language where we're commenting and inviting, you know, uh, mm -hmm. our, our children to uh, be present in the moment and visually observe what's going on and all that. But it is so much easier said than done. So yeah. I am a work in progress. <laughs> and it is, I, I will tell you for all the parents out there, don't get frustrated and don't give up on it because mm -hmm. I love how you said, you know, you use imperative language while you're learning how to use declarative language because it is not just a, oh, today I'm just going to stop using so much imperative language. It's who we are as adults. We're used to directing the behaviors of our children, right? And keeping them safe and telling them what to do and when to do it. And Mike, you having a, a baby under a year old at oh, home, yeah. what a great time for you to start practicing that, you know? Oh, I mean, yeah. before she's uh, older and, and, and making decisions. So I just, I loved this chapter, even though it was very short and sweet. I really appreciated um, that you said, you know, we're going to make mistakes and it's okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah and, 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 Lin and Linda really said it best is, you know, it's really just being 
mindful, yeah. uh, you know, of your language. And, you know, this, this book could really be called the mindful language handbook. It's, mm -hmm, it's so mm -hmm. it's, yes, there's the whole idea of being declarative versus imperative, but there's really no declarative language unless you're being mindful. Isn't so that the truth? With, with, the, with the parent coaching that I do, you know, even before I knew about declarative language, the number one tip that I would always give parents is use 80% less words. Just do <laughs> less speaking. And Dr. Russell Barkley, the worldwide leader on ADHD, his, his famous phrase is, act, don't yak. So just, just, just do, do what needs to be done and don't yak and don't talk and don't talk, talk, talk. And, you know, from, and, you know, uh, a lot of professionals talk about this and th something like this is, if we're honest, yeah. difficult on moms. It is mm -hmm. very hard for moms. Moms love to explain things and mm -hmm. they're very verbose and they mm -hmm. love to, you know, let, the, let, you know, what's going on in their head be out. Uh, and sometimes, you know, we forget as adults about the adolescent brain and the uh, the frontal lobe and the ability to take in language, comprehend language, visualize language, take it in. You know, you can make, you could be explaining something better than any human being in the world. But if you're using too much language, you're going on for too long, it's too much for that kid to take in and it's too much for them to keep their attention. It's too much language, too many words, too many things to process. Uh, and the kid's going to lose you and you're not going to accomplish your goal. Uh, so finding ways to speak and then find power in the pause like we talk about is so powerful with declarative language. Yeah. And uh, Carrie, I just wanted to spotlight something in your example. That was pretty mm -hmm. awesome. Um, a nice cognitive verb using decide with that's what the school decided. And uh -huh. I think yeah. What that did is it showed him there was a process behind this change. It's not just me saying you have mm -hmm. to wear a mask to school now, which is yeah. what, how a lot of parents presented it to their child. And then their child goes, but I don't like wearing a mask. It's not fair. I, you know, and then it all starts. So yeah. I was, and that's the reason I picked that moment is because I was being mindful. I wasn't in a hurry. I wasn't trying to go anywhere. I mean, it was nighttime, you know, it was like our, our, our family hangout time, if you will. And so I was like, okay, I was, I had to really think about how am I going to phrase this? Because what would have normally come out of my mouth is buddy, go find your mask you have to start wearing a mask again. I wouldn't have told right. him that the school board met. I wouldn't have told him that there was some decision. You know, I just would have said, go get your mask because you have to wear it now. You know, yeah. and he'd be like, yep. but so yeah, I, I just, I don't know. I just, I just think it's so powerful. Mike, what you were saying <laughs> about so many words. So my son um, is quite verbal now. I mean, he didn't talk until he was over five years old, but what is something that he has said his whole life is he will sometimes come to me and he'll say, mom, um, that teacher said too many words today. And that, those are the mm. literal words he uses. Mm. Uh, he, will, he will say, I, I'll say, how did your whatever go with, you know, maybe horseback riding or whatever it was. And there have been a few times where he'll just say to me, she said too many words today. And you can just tell that his yeah. brain is ready to explode. That's and I what thought, what a powerful thing yep. that he's able to self-advocate and say, you know, mm -hmm. that's too many words. Can you use fewer words, please? And he will actually um, request that people don't talk so much. And I think that's yeah. important um, because he processes language, but he definitely needs more time. And the power of the pause is 
um, Linda, what struck me as interesting is it might be in the next chapter when we talk about pacing, how long you recommend people pause. Um, so we'll get there. But Linda, tell us the two times, um, it's on page 59, mm -hmm. where it is absolutely okay, like yeah. in the moment. And I mm -hmm. think the first one um, on page 59 is really critical that parents understand if, you mm -hmm. know, so what, tell us about that. Yeah, so, so often it comes down to time. And I think whether you need to get your message to the child quickly. Mm -hmm. So safety, if there's right. something happening and you're worried that the child's going to do something dangerous, it's okay to be imperative, like right. stop running or uh -huh. stop. Like if they're going to run into the street, if they're going to pick up something dangerous, they're right. about to put something in their mouth. So safety, um, it's okay to be imperative. It comes down to time. Like right. does the child need to receive the message as soon as possible? But, you know, what I go on to say then, safety is different than setting limits mm -hmm. when there's not the same urgency. Right. Um, and I, I just have to say, I'm going to insert a plug for your podcast going back to July, because as I said, <laughs> I'm going back and reading uh -huh, them. Uh -huh. And it's awesome because the messages that you say just keep circling back in different <laughs> ways. So That's right. Um, and so I think it was in, in the very first podcast, Carrie, you were talking about, um, you know, kids, like, how am I going to set a limit about the child? having the iPad in the car oh, and you, yeah, you know, oh, yeah. and you use this really beautiful declarative statement where you just say, you just say to them, but it's not a choice right now. You can do some other things. Mm -hmm, so, mm -hmm. um, so that's an example of setting a limit, but it's not imperative. The imperative would be no iPad. You can't have the iPad. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but you then take info from those podcasts and mm -hmm. republish this book, the 2022 edition <laughs> of the Declarative Language Handbook. I know. With added information from the podcast. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. A few it's, more references. It is so yeah. neat how it all, it all. Yeah, it all yeah. ties together. Yeah, together. and that's a, that's a great yeah. example, Linda. That is a mm -hmm. really, really good example. And that's really, you know, what Dr. Russell Barkley talks about is mm -hmm. act, don't yak. And you just let them know mm -hmm. this is not a choice right now. Right. This is a time when you need to be mentally flexible. And mm -hmm. sometimes Sometimes, and, and you're able to, you know, like, we're talking about being imperative versus declarative. But if you say, bud, this is not a choice right now, and then take a pause and allow them to think and process and come up with an answer instead of just being impulsive mm -hmm. and dysregulated, you're using some elements of declarative language there. And you're mm -hmm. giving, you're, you're allowing them to process the information, take it all in. But I think, but I really love how you included that in this chapter is about setting limits. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you're, so not only are we teaching parents to use declarative language, but we're, we are reinforcing that limits are a positive thing. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's so super important for parents to be reminded of that every step of the way when it comes to tech, when it comes to screens, when it comes to games, uh, whatever it may be, when you're setting limits, be clear and concise about what the limits are, mm -hmm. what's expected of them. And it's not about them, you know, uh, being able to process the information and visualize and these things. It's saying, mm -hmm. okay, these are the limits of the house. I'm a member of this household mm -hmm. and I have to follow them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't know. Linda, page 59, that sec where you have the when setting limits, you know, where you mm -hmm. talk about it. I think my favorite sentence in this whole chapter is where you say, um, the difference between an imperative and declarative when setting limits is that the declarative provides the child with important social information and your perspective, mm -hmm. as well as the limit you need to set. Imperatives only tell the child what to do 
or what not to do. So mm -hmm. I love that because when you offer more information, you give them the why and somewhere, I think it's on the next page. Mm -hmm. I wrote, I actually wrote the word gold. Like this was to me and I put an arrow because it <laughs> said, um, often when we give kids that extra information, they acquiesce because they now understand the reasoning behind the limit gold right there like mm -hmm. I, I just how you can pack so much into three and a half pages uh, of information <laughs> is beyond me because this tiny little chapter I I've read it probably four times and I I feel like it just it just it, it resonates with me so much yeah and let's and, and let's and let's also be realistic for a lot of the parents out there sometimes we are going to set limits for our kids and they're not going to understand the reasoning behind it. When mm -hmm. it comes to the phone or when it comes to tech, when it comes to things that are instantly gratifying, you're gonna, every day I hear, oh, my parents are just too old to understand. Uh, <laughs> my, parents, my parents are strict and every other parent lets their kid have whatever they want. They don't get it. They grew up in a different generation. Right. They're so mean, this, that, and it's just all pointing fingers. It, uh, from from what I've seen from the parent coaching I've done, that's a great time to be imperative and use that example from the podcast is this is not a choice right now. This is a non-screen time. This is a time to play. This is time to go outside. This is time to exercise. And it's not really about them understanding the reasoning. It's about them hearing you and following you. Yep. And I, what I do you want to say, Linda? Well, I saw a question in the chat that wondered, um, is it ever too late as a parent to use declarative? And I say it's never too late. No, it's no, never no, too no. late. Never, 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 mm -mm. never. Mm -mm, um, mm -mm. You know, sometimes people wonder if it's too late to use declarative with kids if they've gotten to right. it. Like Aaron is 17 now, right? Mm -hmm. But it's never I just too started late. using it. Yeah, yeah, I just started using it. And <laughs> it works, you guys. Like, yeah. I... I swear to you, I don't like make this stuff up. I'm like, I just have these moments in my week and I'm sure I've used some declarative language at some point with him, but certainly not intentionally. Now I'm being intentional about it. And so, um, no, whoever asked that question, Linda, would you agree? It's yeah. never too late to start. Never too late. No. And we can all continue to learn the, the brain is plastic. We can all it, like, that's, right. that's goodness, what it's all about. Right, Thank right. goodness for neuroplasticity. Yeah. If it wasn't, well, isn't it not only our kids are learning, but we mm -hmm. continue to learn and to adjust our parenting style and our therapy style. And how beautiful is neuroplasticity, you know? Yeah. yeah. It's the reason we're all here. No doubt yeah. about it. I For know. Sure. Yeah. And, and, um, and using, using declarative language at times is natural. A lot of parents come to me and say, oh, I have tried that. I have tried that. But yeah, but have you tried it with the pause? So mm -hmm. like you, you talk about how uh, in later chapters, you talk about how I guess you, you counted to 30 in your head after saying something, that's huge. That's not natural. It's natural mm -hmm. to expect a response as soon as you're done talking. That's what right. us adults have become conditioned to, is mm -hmm. to say something and for something to be instant, especially in this instant gratification world. But when we coach ourselves, we practice and we become more mindful and we all count to 30 after speaking, that's something that really requires parent coaching. Mm -hmm. And even for that, I just think of that's a concrete strategy for me. Like often mm -hmm. kids don't need the 30 seconds, but that's my strategy to not butt in too quickly. It's a great thing to practice. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And I know we'll get to that in the next yes, chapter. Yes. But, what um, else do you want to say about this yeah, chapter, Linda? So, uh, well, even going back to that um, question, is it ever too late? So that's, and I know you, you already hinted at this, but um, the other time it's okay to use imperative is while you're learning. 
So you're going to use imperative. It's really okay. The point is that you're starting to notice when you're imperative and not, and even take that, that moment to rephrase and know that you can repair or rephrase adjust in the moment. So you said, get your coat and then you realize, oh, that's an imperative. Mm -hmm. So you just followed up with, huh, I notice it's cold out yep. or huh, what I meant to say was it's almost time to go. Mm -hmm. And it's okay. Like, it's all about um, revising in the moment, adjusting, practicing, catching yourself. I think those are the first times that you really start to get it and where it starts to become automatic is when you catch yourself and then feel brave enough just to go for it and rephrase in that moment. I love it. And it just yeah. goes to show that you can teach an old dog new tricks, right? right. I say you can't, yeah. but when you're mindful, yeah. because I'm an old dog, I'm 50 mm -hmm. years old, right? I've been parenting. I've parented three children. Two of them are grown and out of the house. I have a 17 year old. And so for me to be able to adjust my parenting style, you know, adjust the way I communicate, it just shows that yes, you can, you can change, right? Mm -hmm. And, and that mental flexibility, something that we talk about a lot, don't we, Mike, you know, how critical mental flexibility is, is to recognize that in, I mean, what's that? Gosh, it's all over. You know, the Maya Angelou, um, when you know better, you do better. I mean, that's, that's mm -hmm. like, that's like the, the, I don't know. That's like our, our calling as human beings is you cannot just always do things the same. We don't say stay static. Right. And so being willing to continuously learn, which is why Mike and I started doing this, this book club, right. Mm -hmm. Is we want, because obviously Linda, your perspective is phenomenal and different than any perspective, you know, that any of the other authors, you know, we've read three other books in our book club. So don't you just love it, Mike, that we're getting all these different <laughs> authors perspectives. And this is our first book we've read by a fellow speech language pathologist. <laughs> so that's why I think I'm just blah, like in awe of this <laughs> book. But um, so yeah, so it is okay to use imperative language at certain times. And <laughs> just know that when you're learning, you're going to. And I love mm -hmm. that you give us strategies for saying, oh, I'm, I just gave an imperative. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to add something that's a little more declarative in the moment and, yeah. and try to kind of, you know, move forward with that. And, yeah. and, and what I love is that you're always highlighting kids with social learning challenges. Once again, mm -hmm. she's using that phrase, social learning challenges instead of social pragmatic language disorder or whatever mm -hmm. odd mm -hmm. phrase we came up with. Really, these social learning challenges uh, is exactly what we're seeing now. And we're seeing more and more of it with, you know, the social distancing and the screens and all oh, of that. But what goodness. declarative language does is it's the ability to process the internal language, process the visuals, process the information with that pause and with that mm -hmm. ability to, uh, you know, the way that in the language is reflected to them. So yeah. using less language, but you're being mindful with the language that you're using. Yeah. So it's not quantity, it's it, quality. It, that's right? exactly what it is, especially mm -hmm. for these kids with yeah. social learning challenges that yeah. don't learn just by observing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, that just describes my son. I mean, almost every kid that I've, I, I mean, I think about it, like, not being able to learn through just natural interactions, not being able to learn by just observing, not being able to learn through yeah. osmosis, if you yeah. will. So kids with social learning challenges, we must be more intentional. We must be more mindful and we yep. must capitalize on 
teachable moments in our everyday routines. Instead of saying, I need to send my son to a social skills group where he can learn social skills, it's much better to embed learning into your everyday interactions. And this 100%. is why if we could get teachers and, you know, I mean, I now, every time I go and do a consultation, I take this book, Linda, <laughs> and I'm always like, okay, people, this is what we're going to talk about because I observe in the classroom and what I hear is 99% imperative language, right? Almost every interaction with a child is direct or quizzing. And so I'm like, okay, if we want to reduce fight, flight, or freeze, which is the reason I'm being called in because the challenging behaviors are through the roof. I say the very first thing we're going to do is we're all going to start using more declarative language. And so mm -hmm. I'm always whipping, I'm going to have to get another <laughs> copy of this because it's going to be shredded pretty soon. So yeah. And, 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 and Carrie, you've been one of the first people to take kind of that controversial viewpoint of sometimes less therapy is better, right? Ooh, that so is my less, mantra, isn't it? Less mm -hmm. structured mm -hmm. therapy, less of that one-on-one -on -one therapy mm -hmm. of getting the child out of the natural environment and putting them one-on-one -on -one with a therapist yeah. or throwing them into these social groups when we already know they have social learning challenges right. and can't, uh, you know, they're in these social groups that are, uh, you know, a bunch of, bunch of boys and female-led social groups, uh, <laughs> you know, trying to, yeah. trying to learn by observing and all of these right, things. Right. You know, yeah. it, it, we're, we're not seeing the progress. We're not seeing the benefits. But when something like declarative language is used in the natural environment, yes. in the home, giving them the time to process, giving them the time to hear quality language mm -hmm. in smaller portions, we're really going to see a lot of progress from that as we would yeah. from... I don't know, maybe three 45 minute sessions a right, week where, right. the, where the SLP is taking data the whole time in front of the kid. You know, right. it, there's a little bit about the, you know, the system here that we can fix. Right. Absolutely. Because my big thing, it's kind of a made up word, but I don't ever want to therapize a child. Uh -huh. And a therapized child is a highly prompt dependent child. It's a child who acts a certain way or um, speaks a certain way in, a, in, in therapy. But then when they get out in the real world, they don't use those skills. So they're not generalized they're not functional. So my, my goal has never been to therapize children. And that's why I'm a huge believer in um, parent coaching, uh, less direct one-on-one -on -one therapy, and really focusing on functional goals, functional mm -hmm. outcomes. And uh, not only, Mike, do we want the declarative language being used at home, but I'm telling you, we got to get it in the classrooms too. We have to Big get time. our paraprofessionals using it. We've got to get the bus drivers using it. We've got, I mean, there is so much training to be done. And um yeah, I, I, I just, I love it. So Linda, what, how do you mm -hmm. want to end? Anything you want to uh, wrap up with chapter? Uh, yeah, nine? so the very last line or so I think um, is, is it's okay to use imperative language at times, but use it when you need it and don't use it when you don't. Yeah, and, and I love that. <laughs> and the times that you don't need it are probably a lot more than you think. Yep. Um, but just get in there and start trying it. And, you know, I'm thinking, as you're both saying, and I agree with you, parent coaching is really where it's at. You know, it's our job to just help those parents feel supported, to just go for yep. it. It's okay to make mistakes. Change mm -hmm. is hard. But little moments build up over time. So yeah, and I think the there. examples, one way that we can coach parents, and you do such a great job of this, Linda, like at the very, uh, on page 59, so for parents who maybe don't have the book, who are with us, um, you say, so a declarative statement, it is important that you hold my hand in the parking lot. You mm -hmm. see how it's not giving a command and it's not posing a question. Imperative would be, hold my hand. 
Mm-hmm. Or what should you be doing right now? You know, so those are kind right. of those imperatives. Another example, I don't want you to, to run right now because it is not safe. That's declarative. Mm-hmm. Imperative, don't run or stop running, right? So right. I like that you give very clear examples so that um, if, you know, when parents or, or educators or SLPs or whoever is trying to use this book, that they can go, what does she mean by that? And in, in every mm-hmm. chapter, you give some really tangible examples. So thank you for doing that. Yeah. And that's, yeah, and it's just set the limit, give the contextual information. Mm-hmm. It's all good. And learning in context. Gosh, I've, yeah. been, I've been talking about that for years that young children learn best in all children, but I focus on young children. Young children mm-hmm. learn best in the context of their daily routines and their daily interactions. So when you talk about contextual learning, I mean, that's, Amen. That's exactly what yeah. we want, right? Mm-hmm. And 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 yeah. So and it's really ahead. and it's really the same for young teens and adolescents. It's sure. amazing how much we 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 are ingrained to think that young early intervention children are so much different than young teenagers, 17, 18 year olds. Mm-hmm. It's literally exactly the same. Mm-hmm. You know, they learn through hands-on, they learn through play, they learn through relationships, they learn through experiences. Right. Uh, you know, they have to have varied experiences. They have to have interpersonal relationships. Yes. You know, it just looks different. You know, you go from dinosaurs and trucks and blocks to, you know, playing, you know, with thoughts in your mind and to mm-hmm. play, you know, other types of play and other types of social interactions. Uh, so really, you know, the, the things that we uh, socially think are appropriate for young kids really are appropriate for the older ones. It just looks different. It sure. looks different, but it's the same concepts that really build those neural pathways. We talk about the brain being plastic. Okay, it's plastic but how do we mold it because it mm-hmm. is plastic and it's yeah. always mm-hmm. to the 10th degree going to be relationships and experiences, yeah. not mm-hmm. direct lecture and listen. Right. Mm-hmm. Linda, someone just mentioned that you have workshops for parents who want to learn and practice declarative language. Tell us a little bit. about yeah. that. Oh, Thank you for asking. Um, so we do an eight week virtual workshop and we alternate between um, content and then there's a week of reflection where parents have homework where they oh. capture a video, a very short video, or an audio clip, or even just an anecdote, if they're not comfortable recording, they mm-hmm. might write up an email of um, practicing declarative language and how it went. Mm-hmm. And it really has been just this wonderfully supportive environment for wow. for parents to learn from each other. Um, I do it with my colleague, Liz Ramirez, um, oh, there she is. who's also uh, RDI consultant. And you know, I see some things, she sees some things, sometimes we see the same thing, sometimes we see a different thing, but it's always about supporting the parent to take that risk, go for it, you're doing great. Um, Here are some wonderful moments that we noticed. Uh, Because parents are so hard on themselves, too, they might come to the workshop with a video with a clip and say, oh, it was horrible. Mm -hmm. Um, And Liz and I are just able to say, no, we see so many beautiful moments in there. Did you I see how it. you paused wow. and your child is thinking and they're regulated? Um, you're amazing. connecting with them. You're guiding them. Uh, maybe maybe, yeah. uh, maybe next week or the week after, Liz can join us. We can do all Ooh, four of us. that would be fun. Oh, you can only have three on. Inside <laughs> oh, the I think you can have four. I think you can. Did they change it? Okay, we can check I've into that. I've seen them before. We'll yeah. Where can we sign up for it? Someone wants to know. Oh, uh, declarativelanguage.com. Is Liz, but- is, does she live close to you, Linda? Mm-hmm. Yeah, she works at my practice. Okay, so maybe She's you guys could my... be on the same camera. I was yeah. going to say, that might be how we could do it if there's only three. Oh, yeah. <laughs> or we can all go to Kansas. 
Mm -hmm. I live in Missouri. But Missouri, Kansas, Kansas City, yeah. Kansas City, Kansas City. Yeah, but, um, <laughs> but the next one starts March 3rd. Oh, so you have so. one scheduled. Is it already mm -hmm. full? No, not yet. I haven't really started putting it out there yet. So um, well, we, we limited it to 15. Oh, thank you. <laughs> um, we limited at 15 people just to keep it supportive and intimate enough, you know, so that mm -hmm. everybody gets turns speaking and sharing. Love I it. Like it. Yeah. I like it okay, parents. So mm -hmm. March 3rd, right. you can go yeah. to declarativelanguage.com. <laughs> Woo -woo. Yeah. All right. <clears throat> Chapter 10, the importance of pacing. So Love this, it. So this right here is, this is what I was hinting at before. I couldn't <laughs> help myself. I had to talk about it. You know, this whole concept of using 80 to 90% less language. This is before I even knew, I even knew the term declarative language. And this was when you're working with kids with ADHD, with self-regulation, self-motivation issues, lots of behaviors in the home, lots of yelling. One of the first tips you want to use uh, it, to parents is to use less language. And as a lot of the moms can be very <laughs> verbose uh, and really, you know, describe things to the 10th degree and repeat themselves. And it really, you know, language makes it worse. That's something I find myself saying in every single one of the trainings I do is language increases behaviors. Uh, so we want our kids to be <clears throat> flexible. We want to cultivate some flexibility. We want them to, uh, to be able to see things from your perspective and understand the situational awareness of the situation. Uh, and a lot of that can come from having the quality language of declarative language and having that cause. So like you said before, mindful language declarative language is mindful language <clears throat> and a lot of parents uh, uh, you know will read this book and have trouble because they'll want instant success just like you mentioned uh but one thing that they can really do to see more success is to speak slower speak less and just pace and mm -hmm. if they use your strategy of counting to 30 after saying a sentence i think you know that's really where you're going to see the most benefit the fastest yeah yeah, for I, I like that on page 63, the first page of the chapter, that you explain what pacing means. So pacing means, in case you guys haven't all read the book, um, slowing down your delivery of information enough for the child to effectively process what you have said and respond. And I love how you explain that their response may be verbal or maybe nonverbal, but the point mm -hmm. is that they respond, and that's how we know that they understood, right? That they heard and that they understood is uh, by uh, how, they, how they respond. And so you're waiting. And what are you waiting for? To give them time to process, right? Mm -hmm. So that's what the wait is for, mm -hmm. is to give them uh, a time to act upon what you've said. So if you say, the example you give, your shirt is on the floor and you pause, this very awkward pause, after saying your shirt is on the floor, if the child turns, picks it up and puts it in the hamper, what does that mean? It means they understood <laughs> you, right? That they, <laughs> they responded to your social cue. The message was received. So I love that. Mm -hmm. What do you want to say about the, the first part of this chapter, Linda? Um, so the pause, which you both said, but I'll just repeat it, is, you know, what's going on in that moment? Or, you know, maybe what we can do is be declarative about why the pause is so important. Again, mm -hmm. you know, we're giving the child time to think, but really what they're doing is using all those executive function skills of um, observing the environment, um, accessing their episodic memory in the moment, yes. Yes. Uh, and then <clears throat> executing a plan. So your shirt's on the floor. 
You just have to give that little brain time to integrate all those pieces, their memory of what that means, their observations to see where it is, their future thinking to picture it in the hamper as the next step. Um, so the reason the pause is so important because there's just so much going on there, it's really complex. And especially when kids are just getting started and they're not used to this different way of um, receiving information or, or accessing the, that higher level thinking, it's gonna be a little bit slower because it's new. It's new for everybody. Um, so, so, so I, I, yeah, yeah. So, so we talked about kids with social learning challenges, not intuitively learning social skills just by being in social environments. Uh, what we're talking about with pacing and the pause is these kids with social learning challenges most often do not intuitively visualize to themselves and call <clears> on <throat> their nonverbal working memory, and they do not intuitively use their self-directed talk and talk to themselves. So what Linda's describing here is the pause, the pacing, and less language cues the child in a more natural way to visualize oh, it's cold outside. Okay, visualize themselves going outside and being cold. You know, they're not, these kids are stuck in the moment, stuck in the now, where they're not used to thinking about what the future may look like, or learning from past experiences and applying it to the present. And they're also not used to talking to their brains and having an internal dialogue using their internal language uh, mm -hmm. in the moment about planning, prioritizing, and problem solving. If they are talking to themselves, they're talking about a YouTube video they watch that they like. There are memes, there are memes they saw that they like. Right, it's right, super right. important to give them time to process language so they can visualize to themselves and they can talk to themselves because mm -hmm. they're not doing it naturally. And part of the reasons why adults use so much language, 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 language towards these kids is because we intuitively talk to ourselves and we mm -hmm. intuitively visualize to ourselves so it's so easy to us to know what's coming what the future looks like we know what the future looks like they don't they need the pause they need the time and mm -hmm. I, I love that I, maybe both of you mentioned this but episodic memory to me is huge because the only way you can plan for the future is to go back to the past you have to think about what happened last time I was in a situation situation similar to this how did I respond what did I do so yep. kids who don't have good episodic memory which I can't remember which chapter that was Linda where you you talked about that but how flipping important is that episodic mm -hmm. memory right there's no we, executive functioning without mm -hmm. episodic memory you there's can't, nothing, there's nothing. right yep. there's no way to play so no wonder yep. for you know some of our our kids the idea of change the idea of doing something different stresses them out so bad because i can't i can't think about the future and go back to past memories and go well it might be kind of like this but it also might you know i mean it no wonder i think about my son and why he is um, find so much safety in the familiar. You know, we always yep. talk about so rigid. I, you know, I try to use a more positive language. My son finds so much safety in the familiar. And so he doesn't do new. That's how I've described my son for 15 years. He doesn't do new. And I now finally feel like I'm putting pieces together. He doesn't have good episodic memory. He, he really struggles with executive function skills in general. So it's been extremely helpful uh, for me to really kind of figure out what's going on uh, and why he struggles so much with social learning. And that mm -hmm. highlights the importance of varied experiences. Yep. If every single day looks the same, every single day looks the same, and it does for a lot of kids. You yep. get up, go to school, 
You mm -hmm. do your best or you do the minimum. You go mm -hmm. home and you're on screens until bedtime. That's what life looks like for a lot of kids across the country. Let's be yeah. honest. Uh, when you do that, you are not building up memories. You're not building memories. You're not sure. building, you're not building episodic, episodic memory. So that's why they're so scared to do new because every day looks the same and they can't mm -hmm. use their past experience. And I'll be honest, we have, for the future. we have done this because it, it, when he wasn't very verbal, a way we could prevent major meltdowns was to keep life the same. And so yeah. what we ended yeah. up doing is creating an environment for our son. But now I, what I'm recognizing is the problem is we've created too safe of an environment where he doesn't, you know, where, oh, it's just... But you did also along the way find other ways to capitalize on his strengths, sure. like like sure. your post your post about Aaron with his animals and everything. Yeah, like yeah. but there's there's different ways to sure. honor a passion wherever you find it and yeah. get him out of his comfort zone to do new things. And yeah. you always talk about remember his teachers commented how employable he is uh, and those and sorts of things. Yeah. And yeah. that's because of the experiences he's had. If yeah. it's not for those skills, he wouldn't be employable. And during the pandemic, I know I say this like all the time, but uh, I will just say that playing games, playing board games, yeah. and playing card games, you know, in the home, you can't go anywhere. You know, I mean, we've been on in what are we in year three almost of this pandemic. Um, the power of playing games and working on social skills and executive function skills. I just I, I can't reiterate how important that is. But Linda, on page 65, you have the best sentence that pretty much summarizes everything that we've talked about so far. The top of page 65, we are providing when we pause, we are allowing the child to integrate all the pieces of information. Mm -hmm. We are providing them space. That's my favorite word that you use space <laughs> to process what we have said. That's number one. To mm -hmm. notice the environment. That's number two. To recognize our feelings or their own feelings, that's number three. To recall relevant memories, episodic memory, that's number four. And to ultimately make a decision by using all of these factors. And then you say the most important part, it is a complex process. So no wonder they need extra time. Mm -hmm. That is why pacing matters. That is why we have to that we have to pause, right? We have yeah, got to give them time to process all this complex information. And it's so hard for adults. So it's so hard for the parents for coaching mm -hmm. because we're doing it like that. Because yep. you know we have fully developed frontal lobes. Uh, you know we we have executive functioning. We live independent lives. We take care mm -hmm. about it. We take care <laughs> of kids ourselves, and we do it like that. And it's hard for us to fully grasp the fact that they need extra time to process. It's so mm -hmm. important. Uh, and you said it beautifully. It's a complex process. No wonder it takes time. And that's mm -hmm. what, and that's probably the number one sentence to use in all parent coaching. Executive functioning is a complex process mm -hmm. that takes time. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, it's helping parents or people who are getting started using this style of speaking to know that it's process over product. It's really like, it's not about the shirt and the hamper. I could right, it's not. It's about all those other amazing things that are happening before it gets in yes. the hamper. So Linda, tell so. us, um, somebody's asking for an example. On page 64, can you tell us the example or summarize the uh, example about Eliza? Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah. So, I love this. Um, I love this. Uh, so this is this goes back to me using my concrete strategy when I first started getting uh, first started using declarative language to count to 30. Like I knew it was important to give her enough time. Um, 
So, and I, I'm sure I had been imperative or overly prompting, quickly prompting, not assuming um, competence, you know, like we talked mm -hmm. about last week. Mm -hmm. And we were coloring together. And Carrie, I did early intervention for a long time, oh, too. Okay. So I share that with you. Like, that's where I got my beginning. So I'm mm -hmm. always thinking about development in that way. Yeah. But mm -hmm. she was she was three, either two or three at the time. Um, and we were coloring together. And no, actually, she was coloring, she was coloring, and I was yeah. watching and I just said, Oh, I would love to color too, or something like that. Or mm -hmm. I would love a marker. No, I even just think no, I said, I, think I would you love said, to color. You I said, would love I would to, like color. to color. And you just pause then. Yeah, I would like and to I color paused. too. Mm -hmm. And then as a person newly using declarative language, I had to sit on my hands, <laughs> keep my mouth shut, just concentrate <laughs> on counting to 30 in my head. And I, I didn't even get to 10. And she said, I can get you a marker. And she got up, ran to a different room, mm -hmm. got a marker, brought it back to me. Um, oh. I just love that. I just and love if, that example. Yeah. And if I had prompted too quickly, if I had used an imperative, like any of those things didn't wait long enough, if, you know, wasn't quiet, I wouldn't have seen that shine through. Just that beauty right. and that process of thinking. And in that moment, she was perspective taking. She was thinking about the big picture. She was accessing her episodic memory. She was right. planning for the future of our activity together. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all those things, but it was just really crucial that I shut up and didn't say anything. And that's why on page 65, uh, I think your most important words in this chapter, silence is your friend, yeah. right? Silence is mm -hmm. your friend. And that is the importance of, of pausing. Don't ever underestimate the power of waiting quietly, mm -hmm. which we are not good at doing. None of us are, right? It yeah. takes, it, it, you have to be intentional about that. Um, this chapter really got me thinking, like, uh, in terms of in some of the standardized testing that we use that tests the ability to follow directions and multi step mm -hmm. directions oh. and comprehend language, how much of, how much of a pause do we give when we're SLPs in a rush giving five different tests in a day mm -hmm. or how much of these of these exams are really even built for a pause and how mm -hmm. much of these exams naturally cause us to use uh imperative language instead of declarative mm -hmm. it's, it's really interesting you know like we we give these tests that are just created in this bubble uh and we give the kids the score based on the test uh but you know it, it maybe linda you might want to create yeah. a test that you can play language <laughs> Well, I have you. to tell you, I, um, when I give standardized tests, I have so many notes all over my protocols. And one of the things that I have started doing is I give the item and then I wait quietly and I just count in my head. Mm -hmm. And, and I, that, especially that very first time that the child might not respond in the time that you expect them to, I, I do not say anything because it's giving me really important information oh, about so much. their processing time. Like how high do I count in my head before they respond? And then their self-advocacy skills. So, mm. you know, do I get to a minute in my head and then they say, oh, did you want me to do something? Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, uh -huh. or, or, they clap, or they say, can you say that again? And then I'll say, of course I can say it again. I'm happy to. And just so you know, 
if you need me to say it again, always just let me know. But mm-hmm. that, that first time out of the gate when the child doesn't respond, I don't prompt. I wait it out because I feel like that's where you get this really important qualitative information. And, and that um, to me is you've got to add the qualitative information to any yeah. standardized yep. test, right? Standardized yep. tests, mm-hmm. all they are designed to do is give you quantitative information. They are designed to give you standard score, percentile, rank, age equivalency, all of that. Yeah. But those scores are absolutely meaningless if you don't have qualitative information to go with it, right? right? So yeah. um, I, that's why I think we need to be, as SLPs, always doing more dynamic assessment. I know mm-hmm. you have to give a test a certain way. You have to score it a certain way. But we can gather information. We can glean information by using our strategies and making it more of like a diagnostic therapy type, you know, mm-hmm. interaction. So you can see, you know, are there certain uh, cues that are effective? Is, is waiting, is pausing effective in giving mm-hmm. them, you know, more time to process? So I, I remember very one much time, appreciate this that. Is a, this is just a, a silly little story. I remember one time I was meeting with a, with a brand new student, a teenager. I met him at the, uh, at the driving range for a first session, like go hit some golf balls mm-hmm. and all of that. Uh, and I was just asking, you know, different, you know, reflexive questioning to gather some information from him, you know, while we were engaging and meeting him. And then I brought him over to my car and we were talking at the back of my mm-hmm. car and I had a really big baby on board sign right mm-hmm. on the back of my car. So I really wanted to like, I didn't want to say anything. I didn't want to point it out. I wanted to see if he would notice it, perceive his environment and how he, re- he would respond. Mm-hmm. And so fast, he saw it, he noticed it. And he goes, oh, you have a baby. Congratulations, man. How old is she? What's her name? Uh-huh. Like a- asking me all these questions. A teenager asking me these questions about my baby. And that gave me everything I need- needed to know about that kid. The That's fact that cool. he not only saw it, mm-hmm. but also asked questions. Acted on it. Yeah. Showed an interest <clears throat> in me and wanted to take more information. So that was, that was mm-hmm. huge. That is. That's nice. great. Yeah. So for people who want more examples, I love um, you give us a couple on page 66. So um, your child comes home from school or it's in the evening after dinner or whatever. And the parent says, I wonder what you have for homework tonight. I'm pretty sure I've never mm-hmm. said those words. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Do you have mm-hmm. homework? Like is mm-hmm. what yep. we typically say. Yep. I wonder what, well, you know, I wonder how much homework you have tonight or I wonder what you have for homework tonight. And then you pause and after 10 seconds, this child had his, I love your term, aha moment, where the mm-hmm. light bulb goes off, mm-hmm. he gets his backpack, opens it, and looks at his planner, right? So um, what, let's see. So you give us three different, oh, oh, so. Yeah, okay, oh, is, actually, Carrie, could I yes. back up just a tiny yes, bit? Because yes, I, because Because what those examples are showing is the feedback loop. So yes. oh, yeah. oh, talk to us um, about this, yes. So my strategy when I'm getting started and I want to be quiet, part of it is I count to 30 or I count to whatever in my head. But the other part that can be really empowering for us and for parents um, is just to know that in that time you're observing the child because you want to see what their feedback is in the moment, which Mm -hmm. will help you know how to guide them further. And I'll do a call back to um, how children succeed your, Mm -hmm. your Mm -hmm. second podcast, I think, is where you talked about attunement. So there's all these different ways. Um, You know, when I think of it, I think of it as a feedback loop, like the child, you know, I say something, I wait quietly, they give me feedback, which then helps me know what to do next in terms Mm -hmm. of teaching and guiding. And Mm -hmm. I think in, in, um, in the book, uh, how children, no, no, no. Yeah. How children succeed by Paul Tuff, right? Uh huh. uh -huh. I believe that's the same as the attunement that you're talking about. Um, in that podcast. So mm-hmm. different mm-hmm. words, 
um, right. similar concept. So, so feedback loop. I like that. Yeah. So therefore, when you're in that moment, you make the declarative statement, you wait quietly, you're counting to 30, and you're observing the child. Okay. And when they give you that feedback, it, it helps you know what to do next, which are the examples that you're referring to okay. now. So maybe okay. you say, um, I wonder if you have homework. So the child's feedback. Um, and actually, I break it into three different you do. areas. Yeah. So yeah. I could say the first is they might take action or respond, mm -hmm. which tells you message received, we're all good. Okay. Um, the second is they might reference you verbally, visually. They might communicate uncertainty. They might self-advocate. They might mm -hmm. need clarification, repetition. Um, and it's in that moment where you then maybe need to be a little bit more specific in your declarative statement, a little right. bit more guiding to help them get on their way. So um, the example you give is, I yeah. wonder what you have for homework tonight. You pause after 10 seconds, Matthew looks up and says to you, I don't know. So then you add another declarative statement because he has provided you feedback and is ready for more information. So then you say, um, it might be a good idea to get your planner and we can look at it together. So that was the example you gave yeah. in the book. Yeah, so they help you, they self-advocate a little bit. They're mm -hmm. uncertain self-advocate, you guide further, create that new memory. Mm -hmm. When you don't know whether you have homework, it's a great this idea is what to look you do. at your planner. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then mm -hmm. that memory and that strategy and that process is there for tomorrow night. So again, it's always future thinking. Like you're not, you're not about the product of homework tonight. You're about creating the process of knowing how to dis how to figure out whether you have homework at all mm -hmm. for tomorrow night. That's what you're laying down. Interesting. And I have to say, yeah. in these examples, the, the third example, then, I wonder what you have for homework tonight. Pause for processing time. You've now counted to 30 in your head, and Matthew has not responded at all. He has not mm -hmm. moved. He has not asked for clarification. So now this is why I can't wait to read the next chapter, because you say, <laughs> now you're going to use a troubleshooting tip from the next chapter. And I'm like, oh, yeah. crap, I haven't read the next chapter yet. <laughs> so now I'm super excited to read that. Um, so those are your three. And on page 67, you give us the three ways a child will provide you feedback. So parents, mm -hmm. SLPs, here it is. They're either going to reference their surroundings and they're going to take action, right? You're going to make a declarative statement and they're going to, you're going to pause and they're going to take action. Or you're going to uh, make a declarative statement, you're going to pause and they're going to reference you and they're either going to communicate uncertainty, um, whether it's verbally or non-verbally, and, and they're going to need from you more guidance, more clarification. The third way the, st the child's going to provide feedback is they're not going to respond at all. And that's when then Linda's going to tell us in the next, chap next okay. chapter uh, mm -hmm. what we do when there is no response. Because that's mm -hmm. something that I've been thinking a lot about as we've been going through this is what happens if you use – and you know what? We had someone – I think it was one of the first or second uh, uh, mm -hmm. podcasts that we did on this book. They said, what if declarative language doesn't work? I have a, a student or whatever where I use declarative language and they don't respond at all. So I have to use imperative. So that's why now I can't wait, Linda, to get to your next chapter. Mm -hmm. um, what do you do? Because we know there are going to be times or there are mm -hmm. going to be kids who don't, who the pause isn't enough, right? There isn't, yep. they don't have those those necessary skills to be able to act in the moment. Yeah, or maybe it's that they don't yet have the experience or the episodic memory to pull from. To pull um, from. Mm -hmm. No spoilers. I'll wait till next week. Yes, but, I can't. Don't spoil because I'm, like, uh, I'm on, on yeah. the edge of my chair. Yeah. Um, and I will say, too, these are, these are all generally speaking, so it's not a recipe. There's lots sure. of different things kids can do. These are just, in my experience, mm -hmm. ones that I come across a lot and have kind of noticed. Um, and then next chapter two, just things that, that are my go-to 
sure. um, tools when something, when the declarative statement falls flat. Right. When there's a breakdown. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 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 So on page 67, you, you just make it very clear, right? You're going to need to get comfortable becoming an observer. And mm -hmm. I will say in general, I'm not sure SLPs are great observers. I think we're, we're the talkers, right? Mike, you've mm -hmm. already mentioned this over and over. Oh, yeah. We use a lot of language. We yep. talk, we don't like silence, you know, and so um, learning to observe. So parents, SLPs, educators, whoever is with us tonight, when you are pausing, you're not doing nothing. You're not thinking about your laundry that you need to get done. You're not trying to make your grocery list in your head. When you're pausing, you are observing, mm. right? You are mm -hmm. anticipating. You're looking at the child in anticipation of something should be happening soon. So I love how you say on page 67, you're going to comment because we're using declarative language, not imperative. Comment, wait, observe, and provide more information as needed. That's mm -hmm. the recipe right there, everybody. Got it? <laughs> Comment. That's Wait. the dance. That's it's the dance. Because it's not oh. a recipe. <laughs> it's not a recipe. It's a dance. And I love right. it. Oh. But you break it down into words that are easy to understand. Comment, wait, observe, provide more information as needed. Mm -hmm. PRN, right? Only right. provide information right. as needed. Oh, beautiful. You're right. Because a recipe is predetermined. Okay, you're mm -hmm. right. And you don't, I don't. Take yeah. that away. It is not a recipe because you say it's a dance which cannot be predetermined, right? Mm -hmm. So you have to be flexible in the moment to right. wait and see how the child responds right. before you know what your next step is going to yeah. be. Yeah. And I was thinking it's just dynamic, which is very different. Yes. Say yes. ABA, for example, uses a prompting hierarchy that right. like if this right. happens, then do this, then do this, mm -hmm. then this. And it doesn't... Um, you know, with this, it's let go a little bit and let's see what the child brings to the table. Yeah. And then, and they, and then make your clinical oh. decision in the moment from there. Like you are, you are thinking on your clinical feet or your parent feet. You know, you're, you're a parent, you know, your kid, right. Use, you know, don't be afraid to use your intuition in that moment to guide the child on, yeah. on whatever. Yeah. That's a great comparison. Mm -hmm. that's, re that's really, really great. Is yeah, you know, it is. you know, th there's power in the nonverbal. There really yeah. is. Just like with executive mm -hmm. functioning, executive functioning starts with the nonverbal working memory and visual imagery, and the ability to stand back and observe your child processing. There's more power in observing your child processing than repeating yourself over and over oh. and over again and describing mm -hmm. it more in depth getting them dysregulated, getting them anxious, or going through a piece of paper of a prompt hierarchy. Okay, right. I told him verbally. Now I have to show him visually. Now, you know, get a read on your child and get to know them as an individual and sort of read the room yourself. Use your executive functioning to guide their executive functioning. Yeah. Yeah, I, I just mm -hmm. have to say, and when you said... Um, I don't know what your exact words were, but that in the moment we have to, oh, that you were talking about dynamic, right? That it's mm -hmm. dynamic. That's why it's not a recipe. There's not this prompt hierarchy. So that, that made me think of um, this idea that as SLPs, we are clinicians, not technicians. And that's mm -hmm. a really important distinction because clinicians have to be able to problem solve in the moment based on how the right. child responds. So we don't have 
a hierarchy of first do this and, if, and then do this and then do this because it all depends on how the child responds. So as an apraxia specialist, mm -hmm. I mean, we have all these multi-sensory cues that we use to support speech motor planning skills, but I can't write a cookbook for it. I can't tell you do this, then do this because it always depends on how the child responds. And that's why right. we are clinicians. We are not technicians. A technician, you would give them a hierarchy, a list, if you will, and say, do this and then do this and then do this mm -hmm. and then do this. That is what a technician does. Speech language pathologists are not technicians. We are clinicians. And so mm -hmm. that is why we need to be um, really recognize that every therapy session should be dynamic in nature and yeah. that it is. Yeah. I just, gosh. And the other know. piece is um, when we're a technician, we're not, we're not honoring and embracing that child for who they are. Uh -uh. It's as if they're not part of the equation, but they are. Right. They're, they're half of this balanced interaction. Absolutely. Yep. Um, yep. So when, when, when we're not being clinicians, uh -huh. we're not allowing for there to be a relationship and for there to right. be that rapport. Mm -hmm. and, that's well, and, what, and that's what it's yeah. all about. And, and you know mm -hmm. what happens then is you do you do not you have a an asymmetrical relationship because now what you have mm -hmm. is I'm the one in control I have the power and you're down here and that's why when I talk about relationship based learning what I want is a more symmetrical relationship where there's a balance right where it's not mm -hmm. just me directing you what to do all the time which is that imperative language so I think seeking out more symmetrical interactions more symmetrical relationships mm -hmm. where we value and respect the child right for balance. who they are yeah. balance I mean that's mm -hmm. what this is all about so yeah. mm -hmm. thank you for bringing us all the way back to relationship-based learning I mean mm -hmm. what a what that's a powerful what, powerful that's what it's discussion. all about that's what's been yeah. Like. yeah this was fabulous so what I did guys is kind of wrote down I think next week um we'll do chapters 11 and 12 because okay. 11 is long 12 is short if I looked but then I would like to chapter then we have 13 14 and 15 15 is just a summary so I would like to finish up the next week and do 13 14 and 15 so I'm thinking okay. Mike mm -hmm. are you okay with that Let's Linda do if we mm -hmm. do I don't are you available Linda to join us yes. again oh I'm so excited <laughs> of course, of so course. we'll do two more weeks uh and finish up mm -hmm. the declarative language handbook and if that last night you know in two weeks if we need to stay on a little bit longer you know to get through it but I would love to finish it up because then we're gonna start the next book and it's oh, Linda's yeah. other book called the co-regulation handbook so Linda we're not gonna let you go because we are just <laughs> enjoying this far Stop too much so uh yeah it is it is time for us to wrap up for tonight um Linda I just I appreciate your insight and your willingness to join us um Mike as always it's just a, a joy to spend an hour with you every week uh so always always yes this was fabulous so you guys um if you haven't yet bought the book just get on Amazon um it's around ten dollars it is worth every penny mm -hmm. uh and um don't don't feel uh, afraid to highlight it up. And take <laughs> notes. I write directly in my books. Oh, yeah. I mean, because I will reference this till the day I die. I love <laughs> this book so much. So awesome. thank you guys. Uh, thank we you. will see you next Monday night. Oh, yeah. I have to think where I'm going to be. I'm going to be in a different state. I have to think. So next Monday, I will be in Nebraska. Mm -hmm. um, but so I will be joining you from my hotel room. So I, uh, it should be fine. Let's hope, right? It's uh, exciting. So I hope so. I hope yeah, so. Um, yeah, we'll uh, see how that goes. I'm going to the big town of York, Nebraska, which is about as small a town as you can get. So I'm anyways, wondering what you'll fun. need to take with you. 
Yeah, I, I, I want, oh, Mike, you and your declarative language. I was just about ready to start listing all the things. Yeah, okay, you guys are the best. All right, have a wonderful week, and uh, I'll see you guys next Monday, okay? Thank you. Have a great night. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.